Hello again, everybody. It is day three of the Republican National Convention here in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. We're coming at you fittingly today from inside the massive security cordon here in Cleveland. I'm sitting outside the Huntington Convention Center, which is where the media uh, are located. We have that, That's where BuzzFeed has its little filing office, and other people have their offices, and Everywhere around us is just fencing and police. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about today protest and security and fears here before the convention began that this was going to be a really raucous time. Every It seems like every law enforcement officer from the region is in town. And as you can hear overhead, there's a helicopter. That's more police activity. They're monitoring everything that's going on around us. But the reality is the situation is not really evolved or played out the way people expect it when it comes to protests. And to talk to us about that is Darren Sands, political reporter with BuzzFeed. Darren, thank you. Hi, Evan. So today, actually, just to sort of catch us up where we are today, we're recording this late in the afternoon, early evening on Wednesday. We just had kind of the most highly publicized protest action of the convention so far. So a guy named Gregory Johnson who actually made a name for himself in 1984 when he tried to burn a American flag outside the Republican convention, then went to the Supreme Court eventually and won a whole case about it, and he's he's the flag-burning case guy. Uh, he came back and tried to burn it again. So Johnson tried to light the flag, wasn't able to do it. He got arrested. Somebody else lit it. Um, there wasn't much going on with it, and it's one of those protests, too, where we had a reporter down there that said um, there were about 15... Uh, reporters there for every protester, right? right? Which has been the story we've seen of protests this whole time, right, Darren? Yeah, it's actually been like a really interesting dynamic to see that kind of play out where you have um, dozens and dozens of, of, of officers um, kind of all around a protest action that is actually like really sig- insignificant and in like um, the greater scheme of things. They're like There's just not a lot of people out there. So what happens for us, right? We get a we, we get a report in the beginning of the day that says, okay, there's going to be a protest at this place. And so you go down to these things. It says, you know, 3 o'clock, there's going to be a protest involving a flag burning. And you go down to that. There's a million reporters, a million police officers, yeah. and almost uh, every single time, only at best a few dozen protesters. They're just not really here, are they? They're not really here in large numbers, it seems like. A lot of people have wondered if that is about some of the violence that we've seen. Um just nationally. Other people have kind of thought about whether it's a function of um, some of the violence that you've seen at like Trump rallies in the past. If people are sort of afraid of that is a question, I guess, for protesters. But you almost wonder if that's kind of what is that, you know, that dynamic is at work. Let's go back a little bit and just talk about what people thought was going to happen. I mean, when you when you come here, it's like an armed camp. They really expected huge numbers of protesters to come down here, right? Yeah, you saw in Trump's campaign people being, or throughout his campaign rather, people being attracted to his rallies as a place of, you know, wanting to protest, exercise First Amendment rights, exercise the kind of, you know, uh, I guess the, you could say excitement of being at a Trump rally. Part of that is showing up to protest, like yeah. really like getting after some of these people, <laughs> yeah. um, getting in, their, in under their skin, 
what you saw some in Cleveland uh, last year and in, in the years past was a lot of activist activity, especially around some of the police shootings that have happened here. Yep. So you saw like um, people really being out and protesting strongly um, after the case of Tamir Rice, the 12 year old who was who was killed by an officer here. Um, Jordan Davis also was another case of there's been a lot of activism around um, those cases. And so there was this idea that there was going to be a lot of activity. It was going to be very tense. A lot of it was going to be even racial in nature. Um, And that hasn't really happened a whole lot. So based on, because you've been inside and outside, Mm. right? As I have too. Inside the queue, which is the Quicken Loans Arena where the convention's being held, thing you see on TV. You've been outside. What protests do happen that are happening around the thing? Are they having any impact at all what happens in the queue? I mean, if you're in there... Are, do, you, do you even know these protests are happening? That's a really interesting question. I think um, you do. You do. Uh, you don't see necessarily what's happening in these sort of designated uh, areas where protesters are. But what you are seeing is a lot of activity sort of happening right at that corner of um, Euclid and I think it's East 4th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, right downtown here yeah, in downtown Cleveland. You're seeing a lot of um, evangelical like um, preaching on the street. There's a lot of like people talking about eternal damnation yeah and there's people talking about you know you're going to hell if you believe in certain things um, it's funny like did bullhorns get really cheap lately because <laughs> they when i was younger when i was younger you never saw bullhorns like this is like a cool thing I remember, I remember as a kid being like man bullhorns are pretty cool like one of those everybody's got a bullhorn yeah they all they all so have bullhorns and um they're all carrying this uh very similar message and so but but i do think you're, what you're what you are seeing if you're your average attendee at this convention is the atmosphere right is 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 tense you mentioned that we thought that there was fears of that was be very racial because we you know when we think of protest in 2016 we think of black lives matter we think of protests about uh racially charged police violence things like that they're not really here. Like, uh, Black Lives Matter isn't really here in any great number. Yeah. So I spoke with um, Malaya Davis from Ohio Student Association um, a couple of days ago. And she basically was talking about how there wasn't a whole ton of interest um, in protesting in Cleveland and making a sort of a spectacle out of the... Um, some of the stuff that the, the Black Lives Matter movement is kind of talking about. So she's about a big in activist in Black Lives Matter movement yeah, in, in, she, in Ohio, but she said that they, that they wanted to stay away. They, they really wanted to um, not have the convention kind of be part of what they were doing because there was a concern about some of the violence. You see, there are a lot of police officers here. Hmm. And I think there was a lot of concern from people like her in the movement who were saying, why would they go into a sort of a hostile situation. Yeah. And what you are hearing some of the officers saying um, is that, you know, they think the DNC is going to be worse in terms of some of that tension because... In Philly next week. Because, yeah, because they think that, you know, they they are anti-police, that they're people... Um, who are more, more liberal leaning? Who are mm-hmm. going to be anti-police? So, it's it's a really complicated, like kind of political uh, situation as it relates to protest. But that that is something that hasn't really happened a whole lot. So, Black Lives Matter isn't really here. Who is here? You're seeing smaller groups um, like Bikers for Trump. Is, is, is a pro-Trump here. group of motorcycle pro, riders. Pro-Trump group. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you're seeing um, gun gun control activists who are here. It's an open carry state. And so there are a lot of people here. There was a, an action, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, mm-hmm. 
that had tennis balls aren't in, allowed in the restricted area here in the inside the perimeter. Um, and so there was this action where uh, I think like the Brady people um, threw tennis balls. <laughs> and so it was this kind of weird, ironic protest that happened um, that I think was like really interesting. But that's the kind of thing that you're seeing. You're seeing gimmicky things you're seeing like big statements being made but like by small amounts of people exactly it's a perfect way of putting it it's like small yeah. groups of people and like because even the open carry thing one of the things there's going to be discussed that these open carry people who are very interested in this in this right to bear arms like literally bear them as you walk around the city they want to make a big stand to show how into it they are here in Cleveland. Yeah. And when they had the first big open carry rally, which was on Sunday, the yeah. opening like b- before the convention opened, there was one guy yeah. with it with it with it with an AR fifteen and like, you know, fifty reporters around him. It makes you think um about how much of uh, of an appetite um there is for some of these protests and with the mood of the country being what it is. Protests were gonna be happening and they were gonna be frequent and there were gonna be a lot of them and they were gonna be tense they were going to maybe be violent yeah um and with the events that we saw over the last three or four weeks in our country you really do wonder if that's part of the reason why we haven't seen those protests pop off the way that we thought they were right so smaller than we thought fewer people than we thought so far i mean obviously we have a day more to go but so far it seems smaller it is fascinating to me though how much effort goes into uh creating an environment where protests are going to be controlled around these political conventions. I, I went down um, to the ACLU headquarters here in uh, Cleveland the other day, uh, yesterday actually. I spoke to a lawyer down at the headquarters named Jocelyn Rosnick, who is the co-coordinator of the Ohio chapter of the National Lawyers Guild. And that's a group that provides legal resources for progressive groups who are protesting. So obviously there's people who are from all different ideologies Jocelyn cares about progressive groups but she also just really cares about access to protests um, and I asked her if what we're seeing here in Cleveland is the way that it was supposed to really go even though there haven't been a large number of arrests and we have seen in general constitutional policing uh, there are some issues that we've noticed. It does look like a militarized state downtown in Cleveland. There's large fencing almost at every single demonstration or any area where people are gathering. There aren't just dozens of law enforcement officers. There are hundreds from not only uh, Cleveland or outside uh, the city lines, but out-of-state law enforcement officers are there, too. What we've seen is basically law enforcement is outnumbering the demonstrators at about a two or three to one ratio. Let's talk a bit about how protests work here, because one of the most fascinating things about it is it's the least organic thing I've ever seen. So you think of a protest, I think in my head, I imagine a rally in the streets, streets filled with people as they're sort of wrapped up in the cause. This is like you look at a map and it'll say... The people who liked the Iraq war will, will protest from 2 to 2.30. The people who didn't like the Iraq war will protest from 2.30 to 3. There's a lot of control over how these protests work here, right? You're correct. It is very, very controlled, and this is not how it would usually work. This is specifically because it's the Republican National Convention, which is a national special security event. That means that there can be more rules and regulations, and there are. So that's why you're seeing a very tidy schedule of events. 
individuals that wanted to go out to the speakers platform, they had to register for their 30-minute slot. Anyone that wanted to take to the streets to engage in a parade or demonstration, they also had to get a permit. They had to register for that. And tell me a bit about that push-pull to get those zones, because to me, it seems like if you're in the convention hall, uh, you can't hear or see these people. I mean, these people are talking to TV cameras mostly, and, and that's something that organizers and people like you sort of argue about, right? I think one of the really interesting things here is that when Cleveland first learned that we were going to be hosting the RNC for 2016, that was way back in July of 2014. And at that time, our city council passed an ordinance which no one really talked about at the time. It was very quiet in the media. People really didn't know about it. But it placed a lot of public spaces in our city basically on hold for the RNC host committee, which is why there are so many different groups with so many different backgrounds and ideologies that are all congregating in um, very few locations in the city. So yeah, so that's what, that's really, I thought a fascinating look at how the city itself actually prepared itself for this. And despite the fact, so we have this idea, I think we've gone over this pretty well. We've got the idea of this fear uh, that some groups had of really just what's going to happen if they come down here having violent clashes. We had kind of concern over the amount of law enforcement that was going to be here, just kind of the chilling effect of that. We had a city that designed itself um, to be difficult for protesters to have access to all the places that, that they'd want to have. But still, some people have come down here. Some protesters, some protesters have come down here, and, and, they, and they've come down here um, to make their voices heard. It's interesting that even in this kind of environment, some people really, really do want to still protest. Have you spoken to many protesters? Can you get, have you gotten a sense from them as to what they're doing here? Um, I think the ones I've spoken to are unified in their kind of um, hate um, for Donald Trump. Like that was like the driving factor that I've heard from most of like the organizers who've been who've, who've been around. And I think when you think about why people wanted to do that, why people wanted to be here, I think not only do they not like Trump, but they really think that he represents something that is essentially like wrong with America. Right. The interesting thing about that is that there are a lot of people attending this convention who are anti-Trump as well. And so um, that's sure, like, inside the convention hall, you're saying <laughs> yeah. there are plenty of people in there who would rather it not be Trump. So I've seen people protesting Trump who are clearly like leftist ideologues. I've been, um, you know, walking down the street with people who've been uh, uh, all sorts of organizers. And you'll see fist bumps from actual like elected officials from people who just don't like Donald Trump, but they're here. Um, So it's like a kind of interesting dynamic that you see kind of unfold on the street. I went to a protest um, on day one of the convention it was a very interesting protest that it was uh it was called the america first protest which was uh it wasn't a protest it was a demonstration in favor of donald trump donald trump supporting people were talking and they were selling donald trump merchandise and suddenly you know there's like three or four dozen of those people and then suddenly a uh group of anti-trump people came marching down the street towards this group of pro-trump people all of a sudden, the cops just came out of nowhere. You had cops on horseback just show up, and then the, then they, and they're standing on one side of the street, and the protesters who are anti-Trump are on the other side of the street, and they're watching the protests, and they're going to come over, 
and 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 they're preventing the protesters and the pro-Trump people from meshing, the anti-Trump and pro-Trump people from meshing. Then these other bike cops come in. They come in there. Eventually, there was a little bit of a confrontation in between these two people. There was some shoving, but it was very quick, and it was you know a few dozen people on both sides, very mm-hmm. minor thing, but. It was just sort of moment where this tension of people who love Trump, people who hate Trump in the same place. I spoke with one of the protesters who was there, who's actually very quiet, not a loud person, standing off in the corner holding a sign up, a handmade sign, silently. So I went to talk to her. I wanted to find out why she, what approach, what she was doing there. She wasn't there to make a lot of noise. She wasn't there to be on TV cameras. Uh, she wasn't there to clash with police or clash with other protesters. Her name is Patricia Aguino. She lives here in Cleveland, and uh, she had some interesting things to say about why she was down there and why other people that she knows weren't down there. Hi, uh, I'm with BuzzFeed News in New York. Can I ask you a couple questions? Um, sure. I'm a little bit forced, but... I'll I understand. That's okay. Yeah, you can... So tell me why it's so important for you to come down here and protest and, 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 and hold this sign that you're holding. And tell me what your sign says and tell me a bit about... Trump. I'm Latina. I'm Bolivian American. And Trump has had quite xenophobic rhetoric against, well, mostly against Mexicans and immigrants. But when you attack a group of citizens such as Mexicans, you're attacking all Latinos. Why do you think it's so important to protest in person like this? I mean, to come to this place and stand up outside. Why is it important to come down here and do that as opposed to say, you know, I don't know, sending a tweet or going to Facebook, something like that? Right. right. So I have friends who are staying at home, and I'm, I think the only one I know from my group of friends who came here because I think it's very important to express your opinion in person because it's very impersonal to just send a tweet or a Facebook post. And sure, it can be seen by a whole lot of people, but there's nothing like standing here, risking your life, and basically limb because of the amount of tension that's been going on in the country, I think it sends a much stronger message. Were your friends afraid to come down? Yes, very much so. Were you afraid? I was a bit nervous, yes, but so far, so good. You know, I I mean, I've had a couple of nasty comments, but nothing, no, no violence that I have seen, really. I love talking to Patricia. That was just a cool story. I mean, you have talked to some people like this. I mean, you cover protest movements across the country, but this kind of visceral need to be seen to be seen as standing up for something this is a huge part i mean this is happening all over the country these days yeah it's listening to her talk um it was actually kind of beautiful i I hate to like get sappy on this podcast but go for it man you have a right to be heard um that's what the country was founded and built on this is why we do our job, right? Like, we we have a role in this, too. Um, and so to see it all kind of, um, like, what we do, what Trump is doing, what she does, it, it's, weird, it's weirdly uh, kind of beautiful to see. But sort of given what we, given what you've seen so far, when it comes to how protests are going to play a role in the coverage of these conventions, do we know anything, Darren? I don't think we do. Um, I think what we'll see change is um, politicians and elected officials um, continue to sort of be much more supportive of of police publicly. You've you've seen that with the president. Um, He kind of gave a public statement, wrote an open letter to police officers. What I think in terms of protesters, um, 
I think there is a uh, heightened sensitivity almost to um, kind of what police officers go through. And when there is going to be a protest, there's always going to be police officers. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic kind of continues to sort of, how that tension kind of continues to sort of play itself out. It's going to be something that, even in, in, in Philadelphia, it's going to be something that to really pay attention to. No One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer, with editorial oversight from Katherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan, and production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. Our music is composed by Beauty Pill. Subscribe to No One Knows Anything on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at No One Knows, or you can email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. We will be coming to you for the rest of the week with coverage from the RNC in Cleveland. And next week, we'll be in Philadelphia. If you are going to be in Philly next week, come to our live show. It's on Monday, July 25th. You can find tickets at historicalevent.splashthat.com. I'm your host, Evan McMorris-Santoro, and we'll be back, I guess, tomorrow with more things we don't know. <laughs> <laughs>